I'm Dr. Jim Taylor, and welcome to episode 10 of my Crisis to Opportunity podcast. The episodes thus far have focused on the impact of instincts and emotions on how we respond to a crisis. The next three podcasts will explore what reactions those instincts and emotions provoke in us, how those reactions are often counterproductive, and I'll offer you three responses that are much more effective when you're confronted with a modern-day crisis. To help you gain a clear understanding of how the amygdala drives your reaction to a crisis, let's think about your response to a crisis as being like that of a car. Your instincts function as the engine that initially propels you down a certain road when a crisis first strikes. Your emotions act as the fuel for that engine powering you forward. And your reactions determine the initial road you get on in your journey through the crisis. So, if your amygdala is in the driver's seat and you're in the passenger seat along for the ride, then your reactions will likely be driven by your instincts and emotions. Just as the instincts and emotions I described in my previous podcast evolved to ensure our survival, so did our reactions. In the world of our ancestors, knee-jerk reactions were absolutely essential to our survival because the threats to their lives were direct and urgent. Anything less than an immediate and vigorous reaction usually ended in death. Yet, as I mentioned previously, what worked then doesn't work in crises we often face today. In today's world, crises are often indirect, they emerge slowly, they last for extended periods, they require brain functioning far more sophisticated than our amygdala, and the resolution is often outside of our control. Not only are those knee-jerk reactions no longer useful, they're often detrimental. Since our instincts and emotions can't readily be avoided, the challenge is to experience them without acting on them. That's right, you can acknowledge the presence of your instincts and withstand the emotional discomfort without allowing them to dictate your reactions. Doing this allows you to choose the response that will serve you best in the crises we're most commonly faced with in the modern world. From Epictetus, the Greek Stoic philosopher, it's not what happens to you, but how you react to it that matters. Your reaction to a crisis is where the rubber meets the road. Your instincts and emotions certainly trigger many powerful internal states, but no harm can be done until you actually take action. Understanding the surge of instincts and emotions and their impact on reactions to a crisis is important because the first action you take often determines the direction of your ongoing reactions. In turn, this initial reaction may govern how the crisis affects you in the long term. From Lou Holtz, the legendary college football coach, life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond to it. A crisis mentality activates an instantaneous and intense physical reaction to a crisis that includes a rush of adrenaline, a racing heart, tight muscles, and restricted breathing. This survival reaction produces increased strength and endurance, greater tolerance for pain, and sharpened focus. It helped primitive humans to either resist or flee the perceived threat. Some of today's crises can benefit from the extreme physical transformation of this caveman physiology. Escaping from a fire in your home or saving a drowning child both require swift and immediate action. At the same time, many of today's crises are more cerebral than physical, such as financial, interpersonal, or health-related, which are not readily solvable by way of physical action that benefits from a stress reaction. As a result, this primitive reaction can prevent you from responding positively to many crises that occur these days. What's tricky is that we experience a stress reaction very viscerally through our amygdala before we process any emotions or thoughts related to the crisis through our cerebral cortex. This is why it's so important to address the physical aspects of a stress reaction immediately. Only a physiology of calm will give you a chance to be composed 
have clarity of mind, and relax your body to confront a crisis with an opportunity psychology rather than a crisis mentality. From William Shakespeare, the English playwright, there's nothing either good nor bad, but thinking makes it so. What I refer to as going caveman or cavewoman is what is called stress in modern day times. For anyone living or working in a high pressure environment, just mentioning stress likely causes them to cringe because they know what stress feels like, and it's not a good feeling. Yet stress is an inevitable and often unavoidable part of our lives. But the suddenness, severity, and consequences of a crisis take the stress of daily life and turns the volume way up. In addition to the physical experience of stress, it also takes a toll psychologically and emotionally. Stress causes you to worry because the source of the stress is so threatening. You likely have doubts and become pessimistic because of the undesirable consequences that can arise from a crisis. This shift to the quote-unquote dark side can produce a cascade of negative emotions, including, as we've talked about, fear, frustration, anger, and despair, none of which are at all helpful as you confront the crisis. You may have already made the connection, but stress is the physiological and psychological reaction to the survival instinct that I discussed in previous podcasts. What we can experience as stress can be more accurately described as our body's reaction to perceived threat, which means that it's logical that a crisis would generate a massive stress reaction because a crisis is so threatening. Unfortunately, unlike for our ancestors, stress is not your friend when it comes to overcoming many of today's crises. From Laird Hamilton, the big wave surfer, make sure your worst enemy doesn't live between your own two ears. As I've just discussed, stress is an inevitable part of experience of crisis. Since the physiological manifestations of stress are so immediate and intense, your ability to constructively confront a crisis depends on your ability to lower the volume on or actually turn off your stress and prevent that switch from being flipped on in the first place. Your ability to stay calm makes it easier to disengage your amygdala before it climbs in the driver's seat and takes you for a really rough ride. When faced with a crisis, your goal is to alleviate or at least dampen the stress as much as possible as soon as possible. Your ability to rise above the stress of a crisis and remain calm greatly depends upon your ability to withstand the toll that it takes on your body and on your mind. One way to think about preventing stress is by comparing it to preventing an injury. To reduce your chances of sustaining an injury, you exercise to strengthen your body. Similarly, by working out and strengthening your stress, quote-unquote, muscles, you increase their ability to flex rather than tear when you're faced with a crisis where they are strained. In other words, by taking steps to bolster your ability to let go of the physical experience of stress, you will be in a better position to remain calm and encourage a positive response in the face of a crisis. Now, coping is a common term you'll see when reading about stress, and experts often talk about coping with stress as the goal to achieving it. But I don't actually like the word coping because it carries the connotation of struggling, getting by, or just dealing with the stress. The reality is that just getting by is not going to be enough to overcome the challenges that come with a crisis. Additionally, just barely staying ahead of the stress will probably only create more stress. Instead of the word coping, I want to use the word mastery to describe the best way to respond to the stress of a crisis. You want to have command over your stress, to control and dominate it, to conquer and overcome it. When you have mastery over your stress, you aren't caught off guard when it arises. You know how to reduce it and actively prevent it when necessary. You can use a variety of stress-busting techniques to help your body and mind resist the stress that you experience and seek a state of calm during a crisis. These strategies act to lessen the immediate physical and psychological symptoms and help you to feel calm, comfortable, and in control.
The first way to master your stress is to don't overdo it. Now, you may be laughing at the suggestion because you believe that the only way to overcome a crisis is to devote as much time and energy as possible toward its resolution. While you certainly have to do what you have to do in response to a crisis, keeping your nose to the grindstone for extended periods of time will catch up with you and cost you in the long run. Fatigue, discouragement, and loss of motivation often result from committing too many resources and can make it virtually impossible for you to maintain a positive response to the challenges of a crisis. The result will actually be a decline in the quality of your efforts to respond to the crisis at a time when you need to be at your best. Yes, there is work that needs to be done, but place reasonable limits on the time and energy you devote to a crisis at any one time. Setting aside time to rest, recharge, and refocus are essential for maintaining a constructive response, as well as continuing to put forth your best effort in overcoming the crisis. From Dr. Norman Vincent Peale, the well-known author and motivational speaker, stand up to your obstacles and do something about them. You will find that they haven't half the strength you think they have. Another really valuable tool for overcoming and mastering stress is to have healthy outlets. One of the best ways to relieve stress is to engage in activities that provide the exact opposite emotions of what you experience in a crisis. For example, feelings of fear, frustration, anger, and despair, as I've talked about before, are common in response to a crisis, not to mention anxiety, worry, and doubt. When your resources become depleted from the stress of a crisis, it's important to refuel by doing things that produce enjoyment, excitement, meaning, satisfaction, inspiration, and pride. Common outlets include exercise and sports, cultural and spiritual pursuits, cooking, reading, watching movies, and other hobbies. All these act as healthy distractions and respites from the intensity required to resolve a crisis. Another very powerful tool for developing stress mastery is to increase your resources. One of the primary causes of stress in your crisis is believing that its demands exceed your available resources. In other words, you feel like you lack the capabilities to overcome the challenges of a crisis. A direct way to reduce this stress while simultaneously enhancing your ability to surmount a crisis is to increase the resources at your disposal. These can include giving yourself more time to address the crisis, getting help from others, and gaining relevant information and skills. As you gain resources, you're able to tip the scale in the other direction until your resources exceed the demands of the crisis. That is when you'll have the ability to respond to the crisis calmly and constructively. As I just mentioned, exercise is another wonderful stress mastery tool. While stress attacks the body and the mind, attempting to break down and defeat them, research shows that exercise resists those assaults. Physical activity releases stress-reducing neurochemicals and bolsters our body's immune system. In other words, it increases your strength and stamina, which lessens the wear and tear that stress places in your body. Finally, exercise also increases your energy, gives you confidence, sharpens your mental acuity, and improves your ability to sustain your intense efforts to surmount the crisis. Just as physical activity can reduce stress, so can rest. As human beings, we have physical, cognitive, and emotional limitations that prevent us from going at 100% for extended periods. Unfortunately, the severe stress that accompanies a crisis causes our bodies and minds to go into overdrive. The result of this persistent strain is the tearing down and weakening of our bodies and minds in the form of exhaustion, illness, or injury. That's why you must ensure that you have sufficient rest to repair your body and your mind of the damage that the stress of a crisis can incur. Although you may not think that you have time to rest during a crisis, the physical and cognitive consequences of fatigue will do you far more harm than taking time for a needed respite from the stress. 
Essential tools that allow your body to rejuvenate and prepare for the stress that comes with the crisis include a good night's sleep. The research shows at least eight hours. Naps, meditation, and yoga, all of which allow your body to rejuvenate itself and be prepared for the stress that comes with a crisis. From Publius Ovid Nasso, the Roman poet, take a rest, a field that is rested, gives bountiful crop. Let's continue to stay in the physiological domain related to stress mastery tools. Eating well. The simple reality is that your body can't survive, much less perform at a high level, without adequate fuel. Think about driving your car. If you're racing to a destination at high speed, you're going to run out of gas at some point. Ultimately, you need to stop and refuel if you want to get to where you want to go. During a crisis, time is in limited supply and urgency seems to be a priority, which often results in a change in eating habits. Often food quality declines. It's just easier to order fast food. And the quantity you eat can either increase or decrease depending upon a number of factors. For example, emotional eating, decreased hunger, limited time to eat. What you eat and drink is the fuel that powers your body and enables it to resist the debilitating forces of stress during a crisis. Yet eating habits are one of the first things to change in reaction to stress and often outside of your awareness. If you put quality fuel into your car so it runs at its best, why wouldn't you do the same for your body? Unfortunately, the lifestyle that a crisis creates acts to sap you of energy and makes you more vulnerable to stress. For example, there's little time to repair healthful meals. You may use caffeine and sugar to keep yourself awake and alert. And fast food, as I just mentioned, is always readily available. In contrast, a healthy and balanced diet every day bolsters your immune system, helps your stamina for the long days, and gives you the energy to keep you ticking even when your body is taking a licking. One of the most underappreciated stress mastery tools is breathing. I'm sure you're familiar with the expression choking under pressure. What you may not know is that the muscles in your respiratory system actually contract and you're literally not getting sufficient oxygen when you're under stress. So in a very real sense, you are choking. As a result, something as simple as slow and deep breathing has a direct physiological impact on your body under stress. These deep breaths provide the oxygen your body needs to slow your heart rate, reduce stress-inducing neurochemicals and hormones, relax your muscles, calm your body, and most importantly, increase your sense of comfort and well-being. Breathing also calms your mind. During a crisis where so much can feel out of control, deep breathing helps you feel in control of your body. As a result, this renewed sense of control helps buttress your confidence in your ability to respond positively to the crisis. Additionally, breathing helps you redirect your focus away from the chaos of the crisis. Not only does this reduce the stress reaction, but it also allows you to focus on how you can constructively respond to the crisis. Like breathing, muscle relaxation is another way to help you relax your body and reverse some of the symptoms of stress. In response to what your body believes is a threat to its survival, your muscles tense up under stress. Unfortunately, this hardwired reaction has the exact opposite effect of its original purpose and actually makes us more vulnerable to the stress from a crisis. Engaging in relaxation exercises, such as through the use of targeted muscle relaxation practices, stress-related muscle tension is relieved. The outcome is that your body feels more comfortable, functions better, and is prepared to withstand the ongoing stress of a crisis. A couple of more stress mastery techniques. One is simply take a moment. Sometimes you don't have the time to engage in elaborate calming strategies, but you need to do something to settle yourself down during a crisis. In these situations, it can be enough to simply take a brief break. During this respite, you can create some physical and emotional distance from the stress of the crisis. Take a few deep breaths, slow yourself down, 
and refocus on the task at hand. Once you return to the fray, you'll be more calm and better able to respond positively to the crisis. From Leonardo da Vinci, every now and then go away, have a little relaxation, for when you come back to your work, your judgment will be sure. Go some distance away, because then the work appears smaller, and more of it can be taken in at a glance. So we've just addressed some physical stress mastery tools. Now let's talk about some psychological ones. First, positive self-talk. A stress reaction sends a signal to your mind that you may not be capable of overcoming the crisis. It can cause you to fall into a vicious cycle of negativity. For example, doubt, worry, and pessimism which further turns up the volume on your stress, producing even more negativity. You get caught in a vicious cycle. Thoughts such as, this is too overwhelming for me to handle. I'm not up for this, and I'm doomed, may pop into your head. Unknowingly, these can come to dominate your thinking about a crisis. Being aware of your negative thoughts is absolutely essential, especially during a crisis, because it is a time when you need more than ever to be your best ally. That's why you want to make a concerted effort to replace your negative self-talk with positive self-talk. I don't mean start saying things to yourself that you don't or can't possibly believe. For example, crises are defined by the threatening impact it has on our lives. So saying to yourself, this is no big deal or this will be easy, is just unrealistic and you will reject it immediately. Instead, you want your self-talk to be realistic and within your control. For example, you could say to yourself, I'm going to confront this crisis one step at a time. Or, I know this crisis will be difficult, but I'll get through it. Both of these statements are positive, but they're also realistic. And even if the pessimistic part of you continues to pull you to the quote-unquote dark side, you want to do your best to stay optimistic about the crisis you're facing by replacing your negative thoughts with positive and constructive self-talk. From Albert Einstein, we cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. Another incredibly powerful stress mastery tool is laughter. One of the best medicines for stress is simply to laugh. Laughter has been shown to have physical, psychological, and emotional benefits, including enhanced immune system activity, pain relief, increased life satisfaction, and improved mood. What makes laughter so powerful, especially in a crisis, is that the physiological and psychological states it produces are in direct opposition to those generated by stress. Through laughter, your body relaxes, your mind clears, and your spirits rise, even when it seems there isn't much of a reason to laugh. A good follow-up question may be, then how do you get yourself to laugh? Well, some common ways are to watch a funny movie or TV show, go see a comedian perform, read a humorous book, or just hang out with funny people. In doing so, you're no longer consumed by the crisis you're facing. You have time to calm down and create space to enjoy yourself. Laughter is another way to take a brief respite from the stress of a crisis. Journaling is another undervalued stress mastery tool. There's no doubt that a crisis can get into your head and not want to leave. Its demands cause you to obsess over it and clutter your mind even when there's no immediate action to take. It's a real challenge to let go of these ruminations, distract yourself, or even turn off your mind for a while. When this happens, I found the best way to break free from this preoccupation with the crisis is to journal, that is to write down your thoughts and feelings. It's as if the thoughts and feelings are trying to escape, and writing them down allows you to clear your mind of the junk related to the crisis. So, when you find yourself fixating on and becoming enveloped in a crisis, Clear out that clutter in your mind by writing down your thoughts and feelings, your doubts and drama, worries and fears. Your writing may start out as quite negative, because that's how you're thinking and feeling at the time. And journaling can act as a helpful cathartic. Continuing to journal can help shift your mind in a more constructive direction as well, by writing down your strengths and resources, 
hopes and dreams, plans and goals, and everything in your life for which you're grateful. In doing so, you let go of a lot of the crap, apologies for the language, associated with the crisis, at least temporarily. You also pull your mind out of the negative tailspin that a crisis can cause and orient you in a positive direction. This change also creates an entirely different set of emotions and physiology that can counter the stress of the crisis, including gratitude, inspiration, pride, and calm. A final point about journaling is about the importance of writing by hand. In this age of technology, your natural tendency when someone says to write something down may be to type it into your computer, tablet, or smartphone and save it as a document file. But I encourage you to actually put pen to paper. Research has shown that the simple act of writing invokes a level of cognitive processing and memory consolidation that can't be replicated by typing on a keyboard. The physical act of writing allows you to channel your crisis-related angst from your brain, through your hand, into the pen, and onto the paper in a way that keyboarding your thoughts and feelings simply cannot do. A final thought about stress. Stress can be good. Of course, none of these mastery steps will alleviate all of your stress during a crisis. But you don't actually want that. The kind of stress you experience with a challenge reaction actually helps you during a crisis. A manageable amount of stress enables you to work hard towards surmounting the crisis by staying motivated, energized, positive, and focused. I'm Dr. Jim Taylor, and thanks for listening to Episode 10 of Crisis to Opportunity. Be on the lookout for Episode 11 in the near future.